0: stats and ka You could win up to 100 times your money if your pick wins. With the Sleeper app, you can make picks anytime, even after the game starts, with up to 100 times payout. What are you waiting for? Download Sleeper today and unlock one of the fastest growing fantasy sports apps in the world. Just go to the App Store, download the Sleeper app today and use code SPORTS for up to $500 match on your first deposit. That's promo code SPORTS. Thanks for listening tonight. My name is Sandman, and I'll be your guide through this strange realm of ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, aliens, conspiracy theories, and other unsolved mysteries that I like to call parareality. So, before I begin, I want to just say thank you to all of you for downloading this special episode of parareality. I know that I'm not supposed to have a regularly scheduled episode until this Friday. However, given the circumstances of what has happened in my home city of Nashville, Tennessee, earlier this week, I felt compelled to put this special episode together. You know, I can't really put my finger on exactly why I wanted to record this episode. Maybe it's because the tragic event happened in my own backyard. My wife made a particularly eye-opening statement to me when we were discussing this whole situation. The other day, um, we had just gotten back home from attending a vigil for the victims of the Covenant school shooting, and this is what she said to me. She said, "You know, you see, you see all this all the time on the news, and yeah, you feel bad for everybody, but you're also just kind of disconnected from it all because it happens somewhere else. But when it happens where you live," It changes things. It becomes more personal, more heartbreaking, and it affects you more emotionally than the others. I guess that's because it makes it seem more real. And that was a very insightful statement that she made. And it made me just pause and think. I'm like, yeah, it does seem more real. I mean, you see stuff like this on the news, it just like every week, it seems like these days. And you know, you feel horrible for the people that it happened to and and everything, but it's just like, you know, you can't really you're not there. But when it happens where you live, even though you might be watching it on the news, it still happened in your hometown where you have some sort of connection to it. And now I didn't know any of these people. I thought I knew the headmistress there for a minute. I was mistaken. But even if you don't know any of the people, it still happened in an area where a lot of people in Nashville, they drive by that area all the time, and they see that school, and they see the area. So it, there's so many people that have a personal connection to it, and it just really just makes it more just devastating. Now, for those of you who may not know what I'm talking about, I highly doubt it, but just in case, Let me fill you in real quick. Just a little past 10 a.m. on Monday, March 27th, 2023, Audrey Hale, a 28-year-old woman, shot out the glass on a locked side door of Covenant School in the Green Hills area of Nashville, Tennessee. Armed with three firearms, she entered the school and killed six people, including three children, all aged nine, before being shot dead by officers from the Nashville Police Department. Now, this incident marks the 376th mass shooting at a U.S. school since the notorious uh, Columbine Massacre of 1999. And that is according to a database that is kept by the Washington Post on their website. You can go there and look at it. As a matter of fact, I've done that. I've looked at the database, and so far, per my count, 199 people, most of them school children, have lost their lives since the Columbine Massacre of 1999. And it looks like there's no end to this in the foreseeable future. In fact, many quote-unquote red states, like my home state of Tennessee, are actively loosening gun laws instead of making them tighter. Right here in Tennessee, it seems like there's more bills on the floor at the present time about guns than there is anything else. So tonight on this very special episode of Reality, I'm going to be taking a look at the Nashville shooting. I'll tell you everything that I know about the incident so far, what I've learned about the shooter, give you a brief timeline of the incident and Finally, at the end, I'll do a little speculating about why this might have happened. But to learn more, you'll need to turn on, tune in, and find out. Now, usually at this point in the in the podcast, I uh, reach into the old email bag and pull out an email and read it. However, I'm not going to do that tonight. I'm just going to take this time to address something that um, I did regarding the shooting. Now, as I was sitting in my office watching the news. You know, where I work, I work, the medical center that I work at literally shares a parking lot with Vanderbilt University Hospital, and that's where all the victims were taken to. So I knew all these people were being taken over there. I wasn't part of it, wasn't my facility, but, you know, I'm – It just seemed like, I don't know, it seemed, well, like my wife said, more real, you know. And I'm sitting in my office watching the news as news reports are coming in. And all of a sudden, the reporter's like, we just got word. We've got people on the street or whatever. And the police and the FBI are at such and such address in Nashville, Tennessee. And we believe this is the home of the shooter, Um Neighbors report hearing a bang and the police kicking in the front door and entering into the house. And this was something that was being freely reported by not one but multiple news agencies here in Tennessee. And as I'm sitting there watching that, I thought, wow, I wonder. I don't think this has made national news yet. So I thought I would do a little social experiment as I am so prone to do from time to time, just to see how, uh, what kind of reaction that I get from people. And so I did a Google search of the address that they were putting out. And, I, and I'm not going to tell you what the address is. You can go online and find it or whatever, but you're not going to get it from me. Okay, So I did a Google search of what the address was. And sure enough, there on Zillow, which is a real estate website, there was the house that that was being pictured on TV right there on Zillow, free for everybody to see. All you had to do was put in the address. And there was a picture of the front of the house, and someone could clearly be seen standing on the porch, but you didn't know who it was. There was It was a blurry person. You couldn't tell. So I thought, hmm, let me do a little social experiment with this because I don't think this has made national headlines yet. So I'm going to try to get ahead of this. So I whip out my cell phone and I take a picture of my computer screen that has the house on it so that there's no way you can get any metadata from that that's going to give you the exact location of the house, right? Whatever metadata you can pull up is going to give you, you know, where my office is. So I go to my uh, social media, and I just post, Something that said, you know, in a somewhat exclusive here for Reality, I've obtained the address of the house of the Nashville shooter. And here's a picture, and there's someone on the front porch. You can't tell who it is. Could it be the shooter? We don't know. And I did not tell the address. I didn't give any context. It's other than what I just said. And that was it. And I got so many. a matter of fact, I'm still right now getting so many comments on that post about, you know, how can you do something like this? You're going to, you know, the family needs privacy. You're going to destroy the family, blah, blah, blah. So I gave out nothing, no address. You can't pull anything up using metadata, even if you try, at least not that, that address. I just, bam, there you go. Now, that could have been a picture of the house. It could have been a picture of something random that I just pulled off the internet. People have no idea, but they're so quick to pass judgment on something like that. And I just thought it was very interesting that all these people are passing judgment, saying, oh God, you're, you know, um, invading these people's privacy when I gave out no information other than here's a picture. And the news media was giving out the address. They were showing live shots of police going in and out of the house, or FBI agents pulling up to the driveway, interviewing neighbors, doing all this stuff. But yet, people are saying, "I am causing, you know, the people to have their privacy invaded because I posted a picture on my website with no context really to it, no way, no address given out." No metadata that you could pull up that would show the address. It's just it's just strange. So, you know, you really need to think about what you're saying before you say it, which was the whole thing behind my little social experiment there. So if I offended anyone by posting that picture of the house, which really was the home of the shooter, by the way, if I offended anyone by doing that, that certainly was not my intention – I sincerely apologize, and I just want you to know that there's no way that me posting a picture of that home was invading anyone's privacy because it had already been done by the shooter themselves, so that's all I got to say about that, except for, you know, think before you, you randomly post stupid shit on social media or the internet, because once you post your stupid shit, it's there forever. So, let's talk about this, okay? So, Audrey Hale, a 28-year-old former Covenant School student who killed six people at that same school on Monday, the 27th of March, 2023, carefully planned that attack. There's no doubt about it. The Nashville police chief, John Drake, held a news conference uh, the following day and said that Hale lived with her parents and they said that she was under a doctor's care for quote-unquote an emotional disorder. Now, before I go any further, I'm going to say I'm not going to glorify the full name of this shooter by repeating the name over and over again because I just really don't think that uh, we need to do that because that's I believe part of why people do stuff like this is to try, you know, to get their 15 minutes of fame, even though they're not going to be around to enjoy it. Um, so I will refer to this person either by last name only or simply as the shooter as I go through this podcast, because I'm not going to get. That's the only time I'm going to say the full name right there. Okay. So anyway, the shooter had various. Writings and maps of the school as well as drawings of how she was going to enter the school and very detailed writings about it. Now, police know that she left her home on Monday morning with a big red bag and that her mother didn't know that any weapons were inside, and we'll get to that a little bit later. She just left with this big red bag, and fortunately it was full of, full of weapons and authorities continue to work to answer questions about who the shooter was and the motives behind the school shooting. Now, while her gender identity kind of is it's up in the air, kind of, um, we do know that she was assigned a female at birth but had been using male pronouns on social media like he, him, his, stuff like that. So the shooter sent a message to a former classmate right before the shooting. It was less than 20 minutes before the shooting happened. Hale sent an Instagram message to a former childhood friend of hers named uh, Evriana Patton. Uh, Now Patton hasn't had any type of relationship, so to speak, with the shooter for years. And she said that she only ever referred to Hale, or the shooter, as Audrey or she. And she never knew the adult person. Patton went on to say that she received an Instagram message at 9.57 a.m. And it said, one day... This will make more sense. I've left more than enough evidence behind, but something bad is about to happen, and Patton doesn't know why Hale reached out to her for this. Um, maybe it's just because they were close when they were ch- children. Uh, they they uh, played on a on a basketball team together when they were kids, and uh, Patton said that Hale was very quiet and very shy, but they joked around and stuff. So they, I don't know that they were close, close, but they were good enough friends that they could joke around with each other. So maybe that's why she reached out to her, it was because she had this connection from childhood. So Hale graduated from, as she became an adult, graduated from a uh, Nashville art college uh, called Nasi College of Art and Design, and uh, that was last year. Now, I managed to uh, look at a LinkedIn profile for her that uh, said she worked as a freelance graphic designer and part-time grocery shopper. Uh, there's a, there was an online portfolio that appeared to show a collection of her work that showed images of professional logos, uh, cartoon animals, and what might have been a self-portrait of her. And one image included the phrase, to be a kid and in parentheses forever and ever. So while she was at Nossi College of Art and Design, she won an award for Most Improved and she won an award uh, for Class Participation. Byron Edwards, who was the former vice president of the school, described her as the sweetest little kid and said that she was really shy and really good. Now, one of the things that I did when they released the name of the shooter was I immediately did what, you know, thousands of other Internet sleuths did, was I immediately Googled the name, and I tried to find Facebook stuff and, you know, any kind of social media presence. And it was, man, that stuff was taken down lickety-split, like super quick, Facebook took her page down immediately. Her Instagram account, of course, because it's linked with Facebook, that was gone. Um, I I did manage to find uh, that LinkedIn profile, um, and even that, I believe, is, is gone now. So discover new opportunities together in a new Chevy. Meet up in an Equinox, winner of the JD Power Award for initial quality among compact SUVs, lend a hand in the strong and capable Silverado, or mix it up in a high-tech Trax with an available 11-inch diagonal touchscreen. Find family, friends, and fun in the Chevy that's right for you. Click to learn more. Chevrolet, together let's drive. For JD Power 2023 U.S. Initial Quality Study Award information, visit jdpower.com awards purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I really think that you know being an internet sleuth with with like I said hundreds of thousands of other people and you think, "Oh man, I got the I got the jump on this one." I really think that law enforcement and the news media will um, coordinate with social media before they release stuff, so they can have that taken down. Because I I was in a position where I could jump on it immediately, and uh, all that stuff was gone. Like I said, except for her her LinkedIn profile, which was amazing. Um, so speaking of Facebook, like I said, I I did try to find her Facebook profile, which had been taken down. But um, according to one of her uh, former teachers at Nasi, she had um, sometime within the past couple of years posted on her Facebook page about the death of some sort of romantic partner, as well as a request at that time to be referred to by the male name Aiden and started using male pronouns. So the police say that she was transgender, but that's not necessarily true. She, from everything that I can find out, was still a woman, still had all of the female parts that she was born with, had not had any type of gender reassignment surgery or was not taking any type of hormones or anything like that. She was just dressing as a man and referring to herself as a man. To me, that does not make the person transgender. However, I could be wrong on that, and if I am, then I apologize. To to me being a, st- a straight person who has no problems with the gender that I was given at birth, you know, um, I'm not gonna pretend to to know all the proper terms and cuz everything is so gets so convoluted when it comes to gender reassignment and and if you really have surgery or not and how you refer to yourself and everything so but to me it does that doesn't necessarily mean transgender because she hasn't gone through any sort of change except for just the dress and the pronouns um but once again that's coming probably from a place of ignorance on my part, and I do not mean to offend. If I'm wrong, I apologize for that. If I'm using the the wrong term or if I'm mistaken, um, I welcome comments if I'm wrong to let me know that I'm wrong. Um, once again, I'm, I'm, I'm not coming at this trying to, to prove a point or trying to do offend anybody just I just don't know uh, so anyway she wrote about missing her romantic partner and posted photographs of the two playing basketball together now I, this is just from what I have been able to ascertain I did not see any of this I don't know if the partner was male or female I'm assuming the partner was female but I I don't know I have no idea the person the uh, the teacher, that was talking about this did not say, at least not that I could find out. Apparently, she'd been openly grieving about her partner's death on social media, and that's when she announced that she wanted to be addressed as a male. Now, this person I'm talking about that's telling this is a former teacher named Maria Colomy. She was one of the uh, instructors at Nossi College of Art and Design back in 2017. Like I said, Hale's Facebook account's been taken down. However, I did manage to get in touch with someone who had grabbed a few pictures of Hale before the page was removed, and it was faster than I am, I guess, on it. And um, I'm I've got uh, uh, some of those pictures posted on parareality.com. And before I thought about posting those, I made sure that it was stuff that was already readily available online. So these pictures are nothing exclusive anymore. Um, It's readily available online. I'm just one more website that's got the pictures posted just for nothing more than it relates to this podcast episode. Now, Komi also recalled how Hale began to cry on the very first day of class at the art college and she was trying to create a password for the online student portal. And she was apparently struggling with that. So Colme asked if, asked Hale if it would help her, if she stepped out of the room for a minute just to collect herself. And that's what she did. And, Colomy went on to say that it was the only time that Hale showed any type of extreme emotion in class. Now, to me, that seems an unusually strong reaction over a, a very mundane problem. That could be the result of emotional distress that she was going through because of the loss of her partner, or it could have been one of the first signs of anxiety or some other mental disorder that rendered her unable to cope with what would otherwise be a simple task in life. So we know that she was under a doctor's care for an undisclosed quote-unquote emotional disorder and had legally bought seven firearms that were hidden in the home that she shared with her parents. But how was she able to legally purchase those firearms? Well, Tennessee law, specifically outlined in Tennessee Code 39-17-1307, prohibits the possession of a firearm by any person subject to an active order of protection that fully complies with federal law. That's how it reads. That's great and all, but it doesn't keep someone with a mental disorder who is not under an order of protection from owning firearms. And furthermore, Tennessee prohibits people from selling a firearm to a person who has been found by court, board, commission, or other lawful authority to be a danger to self or others, or to lack the mental capacity to contract or or manage their own affairs as a result of their mental condition or illness, or has been involuntarily hospitalized or committed to a mental health or substance abuse treatment facility by a court, board, commission, or other lawful authority. Involuntarily hospitalized or committed. Not voluntarily, but involuntarily. However, there's no information that has been revealed that says that Hale was a danger or had been hospitalized to a mental health or substance abuse treatment facility. Under Tennessee law, specifically Tennessee Code 38-6-109, if a person who is ineligible to possess firearms due to mental health-related adjudications or court orders attempts to purchase a firearm and the instant check unit of the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation confirms the person's record, the unit shall contact within 24 hours the chief law enforcement officer of the jurisdiction where the attempted purchase occurred for the purpose of initiating an investigation into a possible violation of law. So why did I say all of that, quoting these Tennessee codes and all that? Well, specifically to point out that Tennessee has no red flag law. Well, what is a red flag law? Red flag laws allow courts to issue orders to temporarily confiscate the firearms of individuals deemed to be a risk to others or themselves. Now, depending on the state, these laws allow family members and law enforcement to ask a state court judge to issue an order that confiscates the guns of an individual who they believe poses a threat to their safety. ERPO petitioners must present evidence to the court on why the individual poses a threat to others as well as to himself or herself. Seventeen states and the District of Columbia have already implemented red flag laws including several that were enacted after the shooting at uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, which left 17 people dead. Excuse me. <clears throat> However, Tennessee isn't one of those states. In fact... Tennessee's gun laws are so loose that the state's just passed a constitutional carry law, which basically states that anyone can own and legally carry a firearm without a permit because the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution gives U.S. citizens the right to bear arms. In my opinion, this basically turns the entire state of Tennessee into the Wild West. It allows anyone who wants... The ability to carry a firearm without having to have any type of firearm safety training, it allows them to do so. You want to go to Walmart and pick up a few items? Sure, just strap the pistol on your side and openly carry it into the store. You never know when you get the opportunity to shoot one somebody, right? But Walmart seems like just as good a place as any. You know how to operate that gun safely, mister? Why hell no, I don't have to know how to operate a gun safely. All I need to know is how to load it and pull the trigger. That's basically all you got to do in the state of Tennessee. It's crazy. So the parents of the shooter spoke to police and said that they knew that she had bought and sold one weapon and believed that that was the extent of it. They felt, because of whatever emotional disorder she had, that she didn't need to own weapons and thought that she had gotten rid of the only one she owned. However, they were wrong. In fact, she owned seven weapons. This woman, who was under a doctor's care for an emotional disorder, was able to purchase, legally, seven weapons. Now, if there had been some red flag laws, maybe, just maybe, she wouldn't have been able to, to have kept those weapons, not even one of them. So this past Monday morning, she left home with this big red bag, and the parents asked what was inside, but they just she just dismissed them. So they, they had no idea. Now, in the bag, there were three weapons that were used in the attack. As I said, the seven weapons were all legally purchased between October 20th, 2020, and June sixth, two thousand 2022. So she's had them for a couple of years. Perhaps if Tennessee had this red flag law, she wouldn't have been able to purchase those weapons, and all of this could have simply been avoided. Now, police also said that they did not know a motive behind this, and it hasn't been released as of the time that I am recording this podcast. So the shooter targeted the school and church in the attack, but did not specifically target any of the six people that she killed. Her writings mentioned a mall near the school as another possible target. Now that mall would... Probably have been Green Hills Mall, which is literally right down the road. So, one thing you got to know about the area where Covenant School was in is called the Green Hills area of Nashville, and it is a very affluent area. There are people with a lot of money that live in this area, and the homes are big and immaculate, and it costs a lot of money. Even the older homes that have been there for a long period of time, because of the area where they're at, even if they're not big, they're immaculate, and they cost a lot of money. And that mall is the rich person mall, is what we kind of call it around here. That's where all those people in that area go shopping, and it has a lot of upscale stores in that mall like Tiffany's and stuff like that, and I'm not kidding, okay? So this area of Nashville is a very affluent area, and it's not one where you would think that something like this would happen. And the mall is literally maybe a mile from where Covenant School is, if that far. I mean, it's very, very close. And there are a lot of restaurants and and um, uh, strip malls and other places between Covenant and the mall that she could have also have chosen, but that's the only mall that's in that area that's close. Now she had also they also mentioned uh, that she had uh, targeted another school. That name of that school hasn't been released yet, and I hope it never is but she had decided against that because there was too much security at that school. Now, the uh, this attack on the Covenant School was the 19th shooting in a U.S. school or university just this year alone in 2023, in which at least one person was wounded. Now, I got that from CNN, and uh, what happened... Last Monday was the deadliest since the May attack in Uvalde, Texas, left 21 dead. And there have been 42 K-12 school shootings since Uvalde. So within a year, actually less, there's been 42 school shootings in less than a year, just here in the United States alone. Staggering numbers. Now the victims, as I said, in the Covenant school shooting, included three nine-year-old students, Evelyn Dickhouse, William Kenny, and Hallie Scruggs, the daughter of the lead church pastor. The pastor's daughter was shot dead by this crazy psycho person. And also killed were a substitute teacher, Cynthia Peake, age 61, Catherine Kuntz, the 60-year-old head of the school, and Mike Hill, who was a 61-year-old custodian. I'm sure you've all heard those names many times before. Over the course of the next day, Tuesday, the details of this heinous attack came into view as police released body cam footage from the two officers who rushed into the school on Monday and fatally shot the mass shooter. The video begins with Officer Engelbert arriving at the school to find a woman outside who says the school is on lockdown but that there are two children unaccounted for. Another school official is seen handing the officer a key to open a door to the building and a group of officers enter the school amid the wailing fire alarms and immediately go into several empty classrooms to look for the suspect. Now, why were their fire alarms going off? That's because nine-year-old Evelyn Deakhouse was shot and killed while she was pulling a fire alarm in an attempt to get all of the kids out of the school. This little nine-year-old girl was killed by a 28-year-old coward, an innocent little girl who was only trying to save as many lives as she possibly could and help her fellow classmates out, paid the ultimate price. And as far as I'm concerned, Covenant School, if it remains open, should change its name to the Evelyn Dickhouse School. Anyway. So the fire alarms were going off. The officers were going Room to room to look for the suspect. They were doing a, a RTF, a rescue task force. When you go in with a rescue task force, locked doors, you leave locked, open doors, you got to clear all the rooms, you got to look behind everything under desks, all that sorts of stuff to make sure that there's nobody, you know, the bad guys are, aren't there. And then they heard gunfire on the second floor, so they ran upstairs as the gunshots grew louder. The officers approached the sound of the gunfire, and Officer Engelbert, who was armed with an assault-style rifle, rounded a corner and fired multiple times at a person near a large window who immediately dropped to the ground. Then a second officer, Officer Collazo, he then pushed forward and appeared to shoot the person on the ground three or four times with a handgun saying, Stop moving. Now the officers finally approached the person and moved a gun away and then radioed, Suspect down, Suspect down. Now, the video adds further insight into the timeline of the shooting and of the police response. The first 911 call about the shooting came in at 10.13 a.m., and the shooter was killed 14 minutes later, and this is according to the police. The body cam footage of Officer Engelbert entering the school and shooting the attacker only lasted for about three to four minutes. The Covenant School is a private Christian school, and it has about 200 students from pre-kindergarten all the way to the sixth grade. And it's a ministry of the Covenant Presbyterian Church. And as the shooter was going in the school, you could see that she went into areas, or at least it looked to me like were areas in the church. So I don't know if she entered in through a door that was in the church church that in the, in the hallway or what area she went into led to the school, or if the door that she shot up, the glass that she shot up, I don't know if that went into the actual school itself. I, I, I don't know. But you can very clearly see on the footage of the school that she just shoots out the door, which was locked and just walks through. So, as I said earlier, she had maps of the school. And according to the police, this shooting was targeted, um, very meticulously planned and outlined in documents that she had. And when I say targeted, I mean the school itself was targeted. No particular person in there, not that I can find out, was targeted. Now, The shooter left writings pertaining to the shooting and had scouted out a second possible attack location in Nashville. But like I said, because of a threat assessment that she did, she said there was too much security and decided not to. So apparently uh, she left behind some drawn-out maps of the school detailing how this was all going to take place. And it was included in what the police are calling a manifesto, which revealed that the attack at this Christian school was calculated and planned. She was someone that had multiple rounds of ammunition, prepared for confrontation with the law enforcement, and was prepared to do a lot more harm than was actually done. As a matter of fact, she shot up a couple of police cars. And on the video where she's standing at that large window, the window is partially shot out. And you can hear gunfire. I don't know if she was shooting at the cops that were coming around the corner or if she was shooting at the police officers in their cars down below, but there was gunfire, and that window was shot out. I don't know if it was by her. Or I don't know if it was by the police, but the window was shot out. And the way that she fell, she fell onto her back facing the window. So was she, did she have her back to the police and was firing out the window of the cars below? Or was she firing facing with her back to the window, facing down the hall where the cops were coming from? And when they shot her, she spun spun around and fell. I, I don't know. Once again, it's speculation. I wasn't there and you can't really tell on the video. So anyway, she was prepared to do a lot more harm. She had three weapons, an AR-15, a kel Sub-2000, and a handgun. Those were what she had at the school. The search warrant that was ex- executed at her home found a sawed-off shotgun, uh, another shotgun, and other evidence, according to police. But there were seven weapons in total. They found a lot of documents, so this was clearly planned, and there's a lot of ammunition, and there were, you know, what I would consider to be a lot of guns, seven of them. They referred to her as a female shooter, and at an evening news conference, added that she was transgender. And once again, I've gone through that. I don't know if that's a correct term or not. Um, but she did use the male pronouns on her social media profile. Now, Gosh, I was gonna say something and just just left me. The female shooter thing, even though she was going by, um, as a, as a, as a male name and using male pronouns, it is very rare for there to be a female um, mass shooter. Mostly, they're white dudes. Okay young white males. And she was a young white female, which is kind of unusual. I really wish I had some statistics. I should have looked it up, but I didn't. But I would love to know how many mass shootings since 1999 have been done by females. And I bet you'll find that you probably could count them on one hand and have plenty of fingers left over. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised if this is not the first and only one. So, Let's talk about a little bit more about the timeline of the shooting and the response here. Information from police and from the shooter's childhood friend helped me to piece together a timeline of this attack. So just before 10 a.m. on Monday, the shooter sent an ominous message to her childhood friend, Evreanna Patton. It said, I'm planning to die today and that it would be on the news. It further said, one day this will make more sense. I've left more than enough evidence behind, but something bad is about to happen. So her friend, Evriana, obviously was disturbed by this message. So she had really didn't know what to do, and she called a suicide prevention line, and uh, then she called the Nashville uh, Davidson County Sheriff's Office at ten thirteen a.m. So. The shooting was already going on by this time. At that very minute, police in Nashville also got a 911 call of an active shooter inside Covenant School and rushed over there. Surveillance video from the school shows that Hale, armed with three firearms, got into the school by firing through glass doors and climbing through to get inside. Now, she was pointing an assault-style weapon, and she walked right through the school's hallways. As the first five officers arrived, they heard gunfire from the second floor. The shooter was firing through a window at police cars, according to the police. Now, I don't know if at the time, as I said, when she was shot, if she was actively firing at the cop cars or if she was firing at police at that, or that the police coming down the hall at that point in time, but she had been shooting up at least a couple of cop cars. So as police went upstairs, the two officers that I mentioned earlier opened fire and killed her at 10.27 a.m. So the 911 call comes in at 10.13. By 10.27, everything's over with. After the shooter was dead, The children were evacuated from the school and taken by buses to be reunited with their families. The school was well prepared for this because they had just received a few weeks earlier active shooter training. Now, we don't like to think that this is ever going to happen to a school where we live or a school where our children go to, but. Experience should now be telling us that we need to be prepared because in this day and time, there is a reality that this might occur. So I see on social media all the time people complaining about their children having active shooter drills in school when I remember when I was in school, and we used to have tornado drills, and now they're having active shooter drills, and it's a shame, and I don't think my children should be having to do this, and it's causing them PTSD and blah, 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 blah. You know what? It's a part of our reality, and you don't have to like it, but you just got to deal with it. Active shooter drills cause about as much PTSD as tornado drills do if you do it right, you know? Um, these kids knew what to do. One of them was running towards the a uh, fire alarm and pulled it and got shot. You know, so it's sad that we have to have these kind of drills. Yes, I admit it, it's sad. I would hate that my kid would have to be doing that if I had kids in school. But you know what? It's, it's part of our reality, and if you don't have active shooter drills and are prepared, it's just going to make things easier for the shooters, and there's more people that's going to be killed. And I think one of the main reasons why more people wasn't killed at this point in time was because these kids got the hell out of there because they knew what they were doing. So getting back to the timeline here. So Evriana, the friend, while all this was going on, she had called Nashville's uh, non-emergency line, at 1014 and was on hold for about seven minutes before she was able to talk to someone who said that they would send a police officer to her home. But an officer didn't get there until 3.30 in the afternoon. Now, that's just sad. That's on Nashville PD right there. However, there was nothing that they could have done at that point in time anyway because she had already done what she wanted to do and everything was taking place while she was talking to these people. So, you know, it wouldn't have changed the outcome, but I think it's sad that it took eight hours almost for um, five or six hours anyway for, for a police officer to get there but it was because it was a non-emergency number. So, you know, those people are swamped. What can you say? So getting back to the the people who were killed. So you had three Covenant School employees who were killed. The headmistress... Catherine Kuntz. Um, She went to Vanderbilt University and Trevecca Nazarene University in Nashville and got her master's degree from Georgia State University. Mike Hill was identified in the staff section of the Covenant Presbyterian Church's website as the uh, facility's uh, kitchen staff. He was 61 and he was a custodian at the school. He was the father of seven children and had 14 grandchildren. And according to his family, he loved to cook and spend time with his family. And the third person killed was actually a substitute teacher, not a full-time employee of the the school. Her name was Cynthia Peake. She was also 61. Of the three children that were killed, the first one, Evelyn Deakhouse, the family of Evelyn Deakhouse, provided a statement to the news media that said, Our hearts are completely broken. We cannot believe this has happened. Evelyn was a shining light in this world. We appreciate all the love and support, but ask for space as we grieve. And the Covenant School issued the following statement, Our community is heartbroken. We are grieving tremendous loss and are in shock coming out of the terror that shattered our school and church. We are focused on loving our students, our families, our faculty and staff, and beginning the process of healing. Law enforcement is conducting its investigation. And While we understand there's a lot of interest, there will be a lot of discussion about and speculation surrounding what happened, we will continue to prioritize the well-being of our community. We appreciate the outpouring of support we have received, and we are tremendously grateful to the first responders who acted quickly to protect our students, faculty, and staff. We ask for privacy as our community grapples with this terrible tragedy for our students, parents, faculty, and staff. And the reason why I keep mentioning Evelyn D. is because she was a hero. She saved no telling how many countless lives by sacrificing her own to pull that freaking fire alarm. It was amazing that... This little girl had the—I don't know—the the, the adult mindset to do something like that. I just—it just amazes me because I don't know that I would have been able to have done something like that when I was nine years old. You know, I don't know that I would have was that mature when I was nine, and I think most people aren't that mature when they're nine years old. so yeah, that little girl I I feel for the parents of all the children that were killed I feel for the families of uh, everyone that was that was involved including the the family of the shooter because they didn't ask for this they're suffering and grieving too you know but I especially feel bad for the parents of those children. I've never been so glad as I am right now to not have kids. And speaking of kids, gun violence is now the leading cause of death for children. That's right. Firearms were the leading cause of death among children and adolescents in 2021, and that was for the second year in a row. Now, that's according to the CDC. That's the CDC's website. Firearms first surpassed motor vehicle crashes as the leading cause of death for children and adolescents in 2020 after a sharp increase in the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic. So death from both firearms and motor vehicle collisions increased again in 2021. Now, in the wake of the attack, our president, Joe Biden, called on Congress to act on gun control measures, but, of course, Republican legislators showed little willingness to address this issue. Now, here's what President Biden said. We owe these families more than our prayers. We owe them action. And that is very true. People say, why do I keep saying this if it's not happening? Because I want you to know who isn't doing it, who isn't helping to put the pressure on them. And that is exactly right, President Biden. We need to be putting the pressure on those who are not acting in the best interest of our children. I don't know what the answer to this is. I don't I don't have an answer to it. But our leaders should at least be willing to sit down at the table and try to come up with something. Instead of loosening gun laws, we should be thinking about how can we prevent stuff like this from happening in the future. Now, I'm not advocating strip our guns away from us. I I I don't want that. I'm not advocating for that, but I'm saying there's got to be something that can be done. Instead of saving fetuses and letting the children die, what are what's what's the point of saving the fetus if they're if the child that grows from the fetus is just going to get shot up? So, we need to be putting pressure on our leaders. And this is not a party thing. I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. I could give a shit less about Democrats or Republicans, but I want our leaders, no matter what party they identify with, to sit down and put the best interest of the American people at the forefront and try to come up with a solution. And they're not doing it. They're only acting on their own self-interest, and that's not what government is about. But... I'm trying not to turn this into too much of a political thing. So here are my theories about this whole incident. Now, before I get into what I think may have caused Hale to snap and go through with everything, I want to preface that what I'm about to say is nothing but spearpec- speculation on my part. I've gone on the record for quite some time now, saying that we conspiracy theorists have a responsibility to our audience not to promote violence of any kind, encourage retaliation, and we should be held accountable for any negative consequences that our theories may cause. Therefore, I'm not wanting anyone to do anything other than just listen to what I'm saying. Think about it, process it, and come up with your own theory. Remember, there are people out there who are hurting both physically and mentally. They are the school children from Covenant, the staff of the school, the family of those who were killed. And, yes, this, include, this includes Hale's family. And, finally, we have the first responders who responded to the scene, police, fire, and EMS. While it's perfectly okay To speculate about what happened and the reasons behind it, we must be respectful of those who survived it and remember that they've been through a tragedy. They're grieving and they deserve to not be dragged through the mud. So now that I've said that, I have two main theories about what could have possibly been going through Hale's mind causing her to do this. Theory number one. So, Hale is said to have been transgendered, according to the police. Now, we know for a fact that she used the he-him pronouns and had stated that she wanted to be referred to as a man. We know that she also had a partner who died not too long ago. But what we don't know is if that partner was male or female. Was Hale gay? Was she straight? We just really don't know. We can speculate but I haven't heard anything confirming anything like that either way. So on March the 2nd of this year, our esteemed governor of Tennessee, Bill Lee, excuse me, signed a bill into law that restricts public drag show performances. This makes Tennessee the first in the United States to do this. I know several people in the LGBTQ community, and according to them, they absolutely hate this law. There have been protests and other public outcries denouncing this law throughout the Nashville area. And while being transgendered isn't the same thing as dressing in drag, it does affect all of the trans community at its very core, in my opinion. Now hear me out on this. If you're born a genetic male or female, but then identify as the opposite sex and live your life as the opposite sex and dress as the opposite sex, isn't that, in its very essence, dressing in drag? So this law was enacted under the disguise of, quote-unquote, protecting our children from being exposed to such a vulgar display of whatever, obscenity, whatever Governor Lee and the Republicans think is vulgar. It doesn't place a total ban on drag shows. It just basically restricts them to an adult audience. So if you want it, you can't do it in public, but you can have a drag show in a private club, 21 and up, and stuff like that. So I think, now before I go on, I will have to say that uh, as of right now, there has been a judge that has struck down that law uh, and postponed it for 14 days. Not struck down, but he's postponed it for 14 days uh, in order for the state to give him more reasons why. Because according to the judge, uh, it's too broad and there are already plenty of laws in Tennessee that uh, protects children from obscene obscene things. So, right now, the law hasn't come into effect as of yet, and it won't for at least a couple of weeks, so the middle of April. So, I think that it's reasonable to think that hell was pissed off at this new law that was as far as she knew, gonna be coming into effect because she viewed it as somehow restricting her from living her life as she saw fit. She was one gender but identified as another and she wanted to live her life as that under other gender. So now thanks to the the drag ban as we call it, she felt as if she couldn't go out in public dressed as she wanted to for fear of being, you know, fined, arrested or both or something like that. And we also know that Hale was under the care of a doctor for some sort of quote-unquote emotional disorder. Now, that could be bipolar disorder or depression. I think that it's reasonable to assume this. If she wasn't thinking right and she was pissed off at the Tennessee state government, maybe what she did was in some way some sick political statement denouncing the new drag show law. Maybe she was so pissed off that she decided the only way she could show how angry she was would be to shoot up a school. And if she really was emotionally disturbed, then maybe she wasn't in her right state of mind the day of the shooting. Maybe she wasn't even in her right mind days, weeks, or even months before the shooting. Maybe in her emotionally unbalanced state, she saw this as a justified reaction to a law that she felt, and others in her community, was unjustified. Now, this is speculation, I know, but I think reasonable to at least suspect it. I don't know what was running through her head. I can't tell you that this is concrete, this is exactly what happened, but it is speculation. Theory number two. Now, According to Metro Nashville Police Chief John Drake, Hell was a former student of the Covenant School. That school was definitely a target of her rage, even though specific individuals were not. And given the fact that this is a church-run private school and the fact that Hale was transgender and identified as a male, maybe she was getting revenge at the school itself because of how she was made to feel while she was there. We know that not all quote unquote Christian schools are open to accepting LGBTQ individuals. Even though Covenant is a K through sixth grade school only, we know that children in that age group often begin to realize that they are attracted to the same sex as them and that they can often begin to have feelings that they are not really the gender that they were born as. So maybe. She was one of those children who, at an early age, began to question who they are and began to realize that they're not who they're supposed to be. Given that Covenant is a Christian school, maybe their teachings weren't open to things like that. Maybe they even taught their students that feeling that way or acting on those feelings were morally wrong, and they told the students that they would essentially burn in hell if that was something they were into. Maybe they did all this without knowing or possibly even caring about Hale and the way that she felt. Now going back to the emotional disorder thing, if Hale was going through a mental health crisis, maybe she somehow blamed the school for it. After all, weren't they the ones telling her that she was going to burn in hell because she was the way that she was? Weren't they the ones responsible for making her feel conflicted? Weren't they the ones responsible for her self-hate? Maybe she simply snapped and decided to take her anger out on the school and anyone that was in it. But we know for a fact, not speculation, that she also planned on targeting at least one other location, a nearby shopping mall. So why? What does a mall have to do with her revenge on the school? Well, I I think it had absolutely nothing to do with it at all. I think that she was going to go to the mall just to make sure that she caused as much chaos and death as she could because she wanted to be killed by the police. That's basically said that she was going to die today to her friend Ariana, right? She went to the school first because the school was the real target of her plot. The mall and any other place that she may have had on her list were just fodder. They were there to make sure that she would not only make a name for herself, but to ensure beyond a doubt that she would be killed by the police. So those are my two theories. Once again, I am speculating. These are just conspiracy theories. I don't have any proof of anything. I am speculating, and if I am wrong on one or both counts, then I am wrong, and I will admit it. I'm sure that there is, in her mind, a a logical reason for doing what she did, And I'm just speculating on a couple of them. I have no proof about anything. These are just conspiracy theories. So in conclusion here, I know that my theories are just that, theories at this point, and I'll be the first to admit that I could be wrong on all counts. The fact is that as of right now, at the time I'm recording this podcast, we don't have any idea why Hale did what she did. Only she knows that for sure. The police have her manifesto, and she told her friend that all the evidence would be easily found so we can assume that the answer lies somewhere in there. We won't know what that manifesto says until the authorities release it. And even when they do, I'm quite sure they won't release the entire thing, which will leave us left with nothing to do but speculate and fill in the holes ourselves. I know that I'm doing a lot of speculating right now. I have no answers to give you. I only have my theories. They may be completely wrong. They may be completely right. At this very moment, the moment that I'm recording this podcast, I have absolutely no concrete proof behind my theories. They are nothing more than speculation at this point, as I've said time and time again. If I'm wrong, then I'm wrong, and I'll admit it. But I'm going to keep digging. I'm going to keep on looking for the answers because those people she wronged, those innocent lives she took, they deserve to know why. It won't cause anything to suddenly get better, but at least they'll know. The sad reality is that we may never know the whys behind What she did. For the sake of those she hurt, including her family and the police, I hope that we get at least enough answers to make a little sense of it all. I want to close by saying this I'm deeply saddened by the senseless shooting at the Covenant School in Green Hills in the Nashville, Tennessee area. The Community Foundation of Middle Tennessee has established the Caring for Covenant Fund for those of us who would like to do something to help. All donations will be directed to the Covenant School to support the healing of those affected by this tragedy. As you all know, our community is at its best when we all come together. If you want to donate to the Caring for Covenant Fund, you can find a link on my website at parareality.com. Thank you. Well, I hope you got a little bit of something out of tonight's episode of Parareality. If you want to leave a comment about it or anything else about the podcast, you know how to get in touch with me. I'm going to go over it real quick. Email me, sandman at parareality.com, sandman at parareality.com. You can find me on my social media. Facebook is sandman.parareality. You can post a message on my uh, Facebook wall there or send me a DM, slide right into them. If you've got Twitter or Instagram, you can follow me on both of those. My username is at para real radio. That's at para real radio. You can always call the secret bunker hotline at 615-692-1170 and leave a message. But remember this, if you do decide to leave me a message, you're giving me permission to play your comment on the show. If you don't want that to happen, you'll need to let me know somewhere in your message. I'm always looking for interesting stories, so if you've got a story that you'd like to get on the show, tell it to me over the voicemail. There's a two- or three-minute time limit, so if you get cut off, just call back up. Call back and pick up where you left off. So email me, sandman at parareality.com. Social media, Facebook, sandman.parareality, or Twitter and Instagram at Parareal Radio. Call that studio line, 615-692-1170. Also, don't forget to visit parareality.com. That's a place where you can keep up with all of the latest paranormal news from around the world. I've got an entire page of the website devoted to paranormal news, and the content is updated almost daily. It's under the Para news section of the website. You can shop in the Parareality store, watch some horrible videos that I've made over the years, and listen to the podcast archives. Man, i got tons of audio on the website from the various incarnations of Parareality throughout the years along with my other podcast, Set It Off and Scared to Death. You can find all that content absolutely 100% for free in the archive section of parareality.com, so make sure you check it out. Parareality can be heard on your favorite podcast station. Just look for Parareality, and if you have a smart speaker, you can listen there too. I've also got a YouTube account, and you can listen to the podcast there on YouTube. You can watch some of the horrible videos that I've made over the the years and I've got some documentaries like some UFO and paranormal documentaries and some videos that i made for myself, uh, all kinds of content there on the Parareality YouTube page. To find the channel, just go to youtube.com slash user slash Parareality one. And that's the number one. So I'm all over social media. You can find me all over the place. Hit me up. If you want to, if you've got a comment about this episode Email me or contact me on social media or call the studio line. Let me know what you thought about it. Love to hear from you. Next episode of Pair Reality is going to air on April the twenty first at eight o'clock p.m. Central Time. So I got a couple of weeks off. So make sure you turn on, tune in, and find out. I maybe have I may have another episode between now and then if some new stuff comes out about the uh, the Nashville shooter here. I'm going to be continuing my investigation into that, and I know I'm going to do at least one more episode on it. It may be between now and the 21st of April. I don't know. It just depends on what happens. So i uh, definitely going to have a new podcast that will drop on the 21st of April, regardless, 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Everyone, I hope this podcast opened your minds up to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change, you must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. I hope you have a wonderful evening. Have a great couple of weeks, and I'll see you again soon. Good night, everybody. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe.